beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. This is Sean Ram. I'm here with Joshua Black. Hi, everyone. Thank you again for listening in and supporting our podcast uh, by listening and supporting those who are coming on and that are sharing their story. I know they appreciate uh, the listens and telling your, your friends and people who may benefit from the podcast about this podcast and their own stories moving forward. Absolutely. We have uh, very, some very interesting guests today. Uh, Ruth Edget is with us, as well as Dr. Joan Olinger, and they are writing a book about the continuing connection that people have with their loved ones after death. Yes, and if, if you guys can speak upon, how did, I would like to tell the audience that we have how our guests come about, and so how did we meet? Because it was, uh, yeah, um, one of you guys called me, right, and to talk, so can you explain how you even found out about me, and... Oh, okay, this is Joan Olinger, and uh, Ruth and I, a number of years ago, we both lost uh, our parents, both of us, uh, our parents passed on, and we had transformative experiences uh, uh, with that passing and the continuing connection with our loved ones, and we could see how people were grieving, well, I grieved a tremendous amount, as I worried about my mom, probably from Jim's eyes, and I about but, um, and then having such a wonderful experience afterwards, and it inspired me and inspired Ruth for us to work on collecting stories from around the world for people who had their own experiences that their loved one continued after the death of the physical body, and that the love that they shared continued. And so Ruth and I have been friends for years, and, um, We've been talking about this for for years, actually, and then we finally got to the get-go of, let's do it. Because so many of our friends were losing uh, loved parents and things like that, and we wanted to do what we could to help people not as much. That's nice. You're writing the book. How did you find out about me? Because I didn't call you guys, right? So what what was that about? Thank you, John. (laughs) Well, actually, I live in Ancaster. And so there's a, a news organization that has the uh, weekly newspapers all through Hamilton, Ancaster, Dundas. And uh, I picked up the Ancaster News, just the little weekly paper that comes out in Ancaster and opened it one day. And there was this story about a young man who is doing his PhD about grief dreams and that he was going to be doing some talks in the Hamilton area. So I read the story with great interest, and then I, I uh, sent it on to Joan so that she could see, because we could see that there was a definite connection between your project and the project that we were doing. And so then Joan got in touch with you, Josh. Yeah, and we had a lovely conversation about what you're working on. And I definitely support you know, what you're doing, I said, to try to help people um, to, to grieve and mm-hmm. to remember their loved ones and, mm-hmm. and to normalize that experience. And I think that's one thing that in our culture, we downplay people's experiences of their loved ones. And hopefully we'll talk about different experiences that people have shared. Um, but we tend to sort of try to be rationalized at all. And mm-hmm. uh, we say, oh no, that, that can't be, right? And so that's what I love about what you're doing is you're opening people's minds again to the mystery of life. And that's what I was love to talk about and yeah so we're on like sort of the same issue of people sitting with the mystery of life what is it you know mm-hmm. and you know is it helping if so man there may be something positive about continuing to do that and so i was like that and so yeah it was a, it was a big fan of that and then so you guys started talking about this book that you're doing 
And so how did that really even come about? Because you said like you're friends, but like why now? Like what shifted in your lives? Well, Joan and I have both been contributors to a, a couple of books by another friend of ours. Her name is Darlene Montgomery. And she has produced a series of books of stories called the Conscious Woman series. So there's uh, Conscious Women, Conscious Mothers, Conscious Women, Conscious Careers. And I said to Darlene, because I had experienced quite, quite a few different types of deaths in my family, and I was witnessing people going through grief. And uh, I said to Darlene one time, what would really be nice would be a book on grieving and uh, conscious grieving, if you want to call it that. And uh, that never came about. But then uh, Joan and I got talking about this uh, a few times on and off. Uh, and we said, oh, that's something that we really should do, but we're too busy right now. And then finally we got together last fall and we said, now is the time. It's time for us to get started. So then we sat down and the first thing we did was write, each of us write our own story about why is it important to us to do this book. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did that first, examined ourselves, and then we were ready to sort of make a statement of purpose and, and get out there with it. Wow. And so could you talk about maybe the losses that you both, I'm guessing you both had because you had these experiences? A little bit about what that was and what it felt like to be to lose someone that you care so much about and how you sort of coped i guess in this journey so far well um it's bring tears because i always i always have tears when i talk about this part of it um, my mom had alzheimer's and it was quite severe alzheimer's and so um, but i'm a workaholic and it was so nice that I took time every night to call her because I knew she might pass on fairly soon. So I called her every night and I wrote down everything she said. I've got a great big collection of uh, our conversations. Not, not anyone hearing us might not have really understood the words, but it was pure love going back and forth. So it was really, really, really wonderful. And then uh, in November, she said very clearly to me, she said, I need to have your phone calls to stay alive. And I thought, okay, mom, absolutely. <laughs> I will call every night, I will call every night. But it was a bit difficult because someone had to take her the phone and sometimes that phone was being used by someone else or whatever. And so I did call every night and then unfortunately she got quite bad pneumonia. And I would call and the nurses would say, we've tried, we can't wake her up. So I said to my brother, who lived only 10 miles away, but it was in Denver, Colorado. I said, Dave, you gotta go over and check on mom. He did go every day, but I said, I don't think she's well. I don't think she's gonna make it. And so um, he took his wife. He said, sometimes my wife sees things that I don't see. And so she went and she said, you're right. She's, she was gonna pass on very soon. And so I said to my sister-in-law, please put they said she, she probably will, won't make it to the morning. And I booked a flight for that morning. And uh, but I said, please put the phone next to her ear. And they said, she's in a coma. I said, it's okay. Please put the phone next to her ear. And so, you know, I just said, mom, it's okay to let go. When you pass over, there'll be loved ones there to, to greet you and everything will be okay. But in my heart, I wasn't totally sure that that was true. I hoped it was true, mm -hmm. but I didn't know it was true. 
And then the next morning I was on the plane. And I was, of course, I was in tears because I wanted to see her one more time. So I was actually sitting on the plane, extremely grateful that I had some dark sunglasses and no one was sitting next to me. And um, I was talking with God and I said, I just wish I could have seen her one more time. And so I was in prayer, meditation. And as soon as I said that, there was a vision occurred. And as clear as each of you are, as I see her talking to you, absolutely as clear and about the same distance as we are, about three and a half feet, four feet from each other. And a vision appeared. And there was my mom, and, and standing right next to her was my dad, and he passed on three years before. And then on the other side was my grandma and my grandpa. They were all beaming from ear to ear, absolutely beaming. All looked very happy, very healthy. They were together. And in the background, I could see my one uncle coming to join them. He was running in from the left and on the right-hand side where some of my other relatives, they were coming too. And at that moment, I knew that everything was fine, that she was in heaven, which I wasn't sure up to that moment was real, and that she, her, uh, she'd been quite frail um, with the advanced disease, and she looked healthy, and so did everybody else, and happy, and I thought, it's all okay. You know, they're, they're together, they're happy, they're healthy, it's wonderful, and it absolutely, that's what transformed, really transformed my whole life. How real was it? That was oh, really? a real, real oh, feeling. Yeah. Oh yeah, just as real as you, as you are, absolutely as real. The, po the power of that emotion at that time, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, just the knowledge of it. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever share that experience with your family when you, I guess, cause, yeah. Yeah, I did. We When we had a memorial service for, for my mom, yeah, with our big extended family, which was really large, you know, shared that experience. And many of them said to me, I wish I had that kind of experience. Yeah. And so that's partly why I want to get involved in this so that people, when they do have these experiences, number one, know that they're having them, know what to look for, know how to value them and not be afraid. Did you ever find anyone devalue your experience, saying, oh, that's probably just your mind or that was just like, you know, because you were grieving? Yeah. Did anyone ever say that or give you that sort of, um, I guess, presence when you told the story? I'm extremely glad no one ever did that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to hear that, right? I'm really Thank happy you. to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. The way that you described those last moments, I mean, uh -huh. you could tell the bond you had yeah. with yeah. your mother and your family. Yeah. yeah. You can tell that just the phone call, you were aware that the voice, just the voice, yes. even if she's yes. in a coma, can get through sometimes. Can can yeah. They can reach that. It's comforting. It's odd. Absolutely. But that awareness, even though she's in Denver. Yeah. And the, the, the also... The knowledge and the faith that you, you know, sending your brother and having his wife attend as well you know, and, and getting on a plane in the morning. I mean, these are all key things that you jumped on. So obviously, you know, and that, that shows uh, not only your background and your knowledge, but also the bond, right? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, and do you feel that this experience really helped you? Like without this experience, you might not be where you are? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah, 100% completely changed it for me. And now I feel like... You know, my, my parents and, and my dog 
and my dog has not been taken care of by my mom and dad. I saw that in a dream. You know, they're, they're just on, it's on, they're on vacation. Okay. And I'm going to be having a great time, and I'm going to go and join them, and I'm going to have a great time with them. Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing thank that experience so and that story. Ruth, what about you? Like, did you have someone that um, passed away on your journey? Uh, quite a few people in my life, but I think one of the, I guess, that happened over time was my father. So when I was in my early 20s, this would be in the 1980s, and uh, my father had had a, a very serious heart attack, and he was in uh, cardiac ICU in the hospital, and I was really afraid that he was going to die. And so I remember one night I cried myself to sleep. I was just so, felt so bad. And then I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw, uh, Joan was talking about seeing a vision, and at the foot of my bed were these people. And I recognized uh, the main person as my father's mother who had died when I was only four years old, so I never really did get to know her. But I knew that was who it was. And she was making this kind of a beckoning signal to me. And as she did that, I could see other people with her. And I knew that these people were people that were loved ones of my father who had died and uh, that they were there. And that what my grandmother was trying to tell me was that they would be there when my father passed over, waiting for him. And I took that as a tremendous comfort at the time. But uh, he lived for quite a few years after that. And so then I was married and my husband was uh, about to, my husband and I were about to move to England for a short period while he studied, worked on his PhD. So um, I felt really badly because my father was ill at this time, quite ill and frail. And I felt that I wasn't going to see him alive again if I left, that was going to be the last. And I felt a bit guilty about this. So, but anyway, I went. And uh, so it's first week of December and I have a dream. And I'm in the church of my childhood. I come from Prince Edward Island and I come from a little community on the North Shore of PEI. And so the church of my childhood was a small little church and there was red carpet on the floor. And I'm staring at this red carpet and I'm feeling very upset. And that's all I remembered of the dream. And then the next night I had another dream, and it was my father standing there and saying to me, I'm never going to see you again, Ruthie. And he was very sad when he said that. And I said, well, don't be silly, because I'm going to see you at Christmas time. And, but of course, we had no intention of going back to Canada for Christmas. And the next night, I'm sleeping, and the phone rings, and it's my mother. And she's calling to tell me that my father has passed away. And uh, they were sitting next to each other watching TV. He was in the nursing home at the time. And so I was glad for him because he'd had so much uh, trouble and health problems. And uh, he'd been in and out of hospital. And it was time for him, I really felt, and I think he felt it too, that it was time for him to go. And uh, so I did end up back on Prince Edward Island for the Christmas season. And uh, I did end up in that church of my childhood staring at that red carpeted floor. And uh, that was the reason I was there. But all of those things together told me that everything was in a dreadful place. And uh, the, the part that I forgot to mention was that when I did leave 
uh, to go to England. I, even though I knew my father probably wouldn't be alive when I returned, I had a feeling that he would not leave this world without somehow saying goodbye. And so he did. And I knew that I didn't need to feel guilty about uh, what had happened. So wow. that was a tremendous comfort. Yeah, it wouldn't, and I don't know if like, people understand, but you had the dream before being notified that the individual actually passed away. So people would call it like a visitation type dream. And, but to have it before you know the person's um, dead is a very interesting thing. Because you, you, I, if I was studying Greek dreams, well, I couldn't even use that in my sample because, well, you don't know they're dead, so how can it be a Greek dream? And so it's it, because you don't know, right? And so it's it really makes you sit in the mystery of this of life and our connection mm-hmm. with each other because I said, like, he contacted you prior to let you know, to help you um, receive the news, I guess is the best mm-hmm. way to put it, right? To prepare me. And I guess what, what, what it shows is that loving connection that is always there mm. between the two souls. And uh, it just continues after he's gone. And so I've had dreams with him in them since. And one of the, one of the health problems that he did have was that he had to have a leg amputated um, a few years before he died. And so a dream that I had after he died, he was in a very large auditorium with a bunch of people. And it was almost like it was like a, uh, it was almost like an AA meeting. He stood up and he said his name. My name is Roland Bearstow, and I lost a leg. And he sat down again. And uh, all the people around him, I remember thinking, Wow, they're like they don't. They're like, Okay, sure, you lost a leg, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what that was was him just still in his in his this new state. He was working things out as well. And so, and then a few years later, I had another dream, and uh, I was on a train, and some people on the train came to me and said, your father wants you to know that he's watching over you. And they started to laugh. And then we all started to laugh. And so, (laughs) and I haven't uh, really seen much since. Wow, that's interesting. So it's more in the earlier stages, and then not so much after. Do Do you have any other dreams of him that maybe were negative or um, that you wouldn't classify as a visitation? I think the last one doesn't doesn't seem so much like a visitation as uh, some kind of a message through somebody else. Okay, yeah. Because he wasn't actually in the dream. Was that, I know you've talked about how when people stop dreaming about their loved ones, like sometimes the loved ones say, all right, that's it, you gotta let go, see ya. I think that might be related to this. Yeah, in the sense of just a separation, right? Like, one of the themes I see in dreams is that there is a separation that's occurring a lot in dreams with the deceased, with them leaving very suddenly. Like, they ha- you only have like a, a couple moments with them, then they say they gotta go. And when I asked the audience before, like, why, why, why would you think that that would be occurring? Um, whatever, if it is, maybe they are busy on the other side, or maybe it's the mind. I go, what do you think it is? And someone is saying that, well, maybe it's a way um, for either the mind or the soul to teach um, mm-hmm. the separation that, you know, you need to be able to learn that you can't always see me, but I'm always there sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, because if I had a choice, if I could just make my dream, well, the whole, the eight hours of sleeping with, you know, me and my father, and he's like playing, hugging, all sorts of stuff, right? Uh, playing chess. Um, but that would that be detrimental to my healing? I'm thinking it would because you're you're 
becoming more attached to the form, right? The image rather than the feeling. And I think that, you know, in some way, actually it's helping um, people through the grieving process by making it very short, by saying they have to leave, whatever the reason. Maybe they're busy and have other things to do, or maybe say like it's, it's the mind um, just trying to help the individual um, move forward through it. And so like at the end of the day, I, say, I don't really judge what people think about the dreams. I just want people to sit in the mystery. And if it's comforting, great. Well, let's continue to talk about that and move forward with that and share that knowledge. If it's negative, then let's you know try to see why it's negative. And if there's something in your, your grief process that's hindering that, or is it a belief and you have a, um, a structure of hell or something that you need to sort of talk about. But either way, it's like there's these questions that come up. And so it's interesting how we've only had these beautiful and comforting dreams. That's great, right? Like I said, for me personally, I've had um, these beautiful dreams, but also I had a negative dream of my father chasing me, kicking out a door, and, uh, yeah, trying to trying to attack me. But I also had other dreams of him just being in the background, and I wouldn't um, I had a different feel. They weren't vivid. They weren't real. And so it's just interesting how like, some people have just this one type of dream, right? Other people have just a negative. Other people have all sorts of dreams. And so it's just a fascinating world that um, we live in, and we're still trying to learn what this stuff is. And so I'm glad that you guys are working on this book. And so what ways um, have you seen other people uh, remain connected with the soul? So we talked about dreams. Do you see a lot of dreams coming in for your book and your material? Yes, yeah, we're starting to get quite an interesting variety. We're getting, so I guess the one way that we're a little bit different in your, from your research is that we, we, we're uh, looking for what we're calling experiences with your loved ones after they've passed on. And so we see dreams as one way to have an experience, but we feel that there are many others too. So it might be, uh, might be a sound, maybe a symbol that was meaningful to both of you, like perhaps a butterfly or kind of a bird, or uh, maybe even the scent of, that you associate with that person, or electrical things happening at interesting times that you think maybe is a signal that your loved one is nearby. So there are all those sorts of things, but uh, uh, yes, we're getting many interesting uh, stories about dreams as well as others. Yeah, and uh, that, I mean, we talk about that as well. Like, a lot of times uh, when people, uh, loved ones has passed, um, there's certain things that you share. You go for hikes, you know, you know we, we go through pathways. And, you, know, you said smells are, are amazing, you know. I was, uh, for me personally, I, don't, I have a new puppy. He's a little, little guy. And when I first got him, uh, we used a lot of, I used a lot of lavender around the house. <laughs> And so, well, but I haven't used it recently, and I smelt it recently, and it brought back all the emotions. So I can imagine mm-hmm. as loved ones, you know, maybe mm-hmm. getting a coffee in, in the early mornings. So we, you know, the focus we take on it as well is the certain signs that are kind of along the mm-hmm. way, and those signs will, can appear in your dreams as well. Is that correct, Josh? Oh, yeah, you can smell, taste, and all sorts of stuff in your dream. So it's very interesting. I see that you might smell in waking life. You also might smell in your dreams, that, that scent. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's interesting how people have that scent, that like one scent can sort of hit you in that heart to remember them. Yeah. You know, either it's something like uh, it's a mm-hmm. cigar smoke or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's no cigar smoke around, I've heard all sorts of different stories. When you're in the, this field, when it comes to grief dreams, you hear everything, right? And so some people will talk about their dreams and this will talk about everything else, right? All their other experiences uh, beyond that. And so is there anything else in the sense of, um, I think coins is a big one. I always get that in my talks. Do you speak upon any like experiences you have personally or that people have shared when it comes to money? So I know in Ghost, 
they uh, they talk about this, um, and so I think it's maybe it's more common than people think. Well, if uh, if this counts now, because nowadays gift cards are money. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I my mother passed away in 2013, just a couple of weeks after her 93rd birthday, and uh, she she was in a nursing home, and I had felt terrible, terrible guilt and grief over putting her in a nursing home, which was a place that I virtually promised that she would never have to go. And so she spent about five months in this nursing home and she, her dementia just, just increased a thousandfold just from the time she went in until the time she passed away. And so the whole time she was very confused and she was also in pain. And uh, um, so when she passed away again, I was actually quite happy for her because I knew she'd gone on to another better place. But I still felt this lingering guilt about allowing her to be in this place that, that I sort of promised she'd never have to be. And uh, so it was a couple of, yeah, just last fall, a friend of mine got around to giving me this little shrub that she said would be in honor of my mother that she'd like me to have. And so it was late, it was in November, late November, and so we said, well, we'll have to be really careful about planting it and watering it in. And she said, well, you'll have to name it. And I said, well, then I'll call it Thelma, because that was my mother's name. And then we will have to be very, very careful about making sure it gets enough water. So um, every day I would take a bucket of water to this little plant, and I would talk to Thelma and give her the water. And so this one day I'm taking the water to Thelma, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm sure she forgives me, but I don't know if I'll ever forgive myself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on that morning, I was getting ready to go have some lunch with friends, and I pulled out one of these, uh, you know, the reusable Christmas gift bags, and I just keep them year to year. <laughs> a lot of people do, I think. And so this one bag, because I was going to put some things in it to take to my friends, and I open the bag and I reach in, and there at the bottom of the bag is this envelope, and it says, To Mom, from Ruth and Scott. That's my husband and I. And I open it up, and inside is a $100 gift card for one of the favorite stores that she had. And so what must have happened was that at some point I gave her something in the bag and put the gift card in the bottom and she never did reach into the bottom and pull it out. So here I have this gift card from to my mother, from my mother, I'm thinking. And so I talked to my husband about this and, and we agree, it's, it's probably her saying, cut yourself some slack, mm. give yourself a break, here's a gift. Mm-hmm. Learn to forgive. Yeah, especially if it happened right after, right? In the morning. That's it's right. Incredible. I think it's a powerful feeling a lot of people have in the sense of having guilt and trying to forgive themselves after the passing. Mm-hmm. And is it like you're still, are you, have you forgave yourself from that? Or are you still trying to? Is it like if you look at your life now? Well, it, it took some time after that, but I, I, I did feel. Immediately after that, and immediately after talking about it, I felt great. Yeah, a great burden had been lifted from me. But then it would come back, and I think, well, if only this, if only I'd done this or this. But um, as time has gone on, now I think I've been able to pretty much let it go, and I've been able to process it through also um, considering other other things as well, and just knowing that that was the journey that she had to take at the time, yeah. and. Although I hated to watch her do it, she had, it was something that, had, that she had to do in her own life. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible, and, and time uh, can be a healer in that respect as well. It's just it's amazing how we're living in a research, right? We're living in life, and life is a big research that we're all a part of the experiment. And each interaction, you know, especially these type of topics, you know, the best thing you can do is share the stories and the learning experiences. And, uh, you know, someone can learn from the way you uh, dealt with your grief and someone can learn from the way you dealt with your grief, uh, which is a beautiful thing as well. Mm-hmm. And like, that's why I brought up the money because my mom always finds dimes, right? Mm-hmm. And I believe that was in Ghost too. And a lot of people will, uh, in my talks, and will talk about dimes that they, they find and how it reminds them of their loved one because they find it in the most odd place, like in a shoe or in the ground or, you know, like different places, like how did dime even get there? And actually it happened when I was on, in a cab, this individual, the cab driver was talking about, he doesn't have any dreams, but he has all these experiences with, with dimes. And so I'm wondering if you know, that is a common theme as you sort of collect your stories moving forward, but it just gives people that comfort, right? Um, that their loved ones is, is there. So I guess the, the last question before we wrap up is, um, what is your thought about what forever is? Mm. No one has ever asked us that before. Well, because now you have all these details yeah. from all different people, yeah. all different cultures. Yeah. What's your sort of vision, vision of, forever. Of, of forever? Okay. Well, my personal vision of forever is that we have many, many lives, and um, we're in the process of being in the laboratory. We're in the process of learning, and what we're learning is. Uh, how to know that we are soul, a spark of God, and that we are eternal, and um, that through these many lives we continue to develop in our ability to give and receive divine, unconditional love. And um, we continue to live, continuing to evolve, continuing to have the freedom to do what we really love to do. That's our mission, you know, in eternity, is to do what we really love to do you know, in the company of loved ones, all with the purpose of uh, helping others to also know that they are a soul mm-hmm. and that um, they are eternal too. And that we have so many people I talk to now are so concerned, which I understand, it makes sense, about what the whole meaning of life is mm-hmm. and why they're here. And so I guess my understanding of forever is that we have this glorious chance to uh, live and grow and love and um, play, yes. <laughs> have a good time. Beautiful, and Ruth, what's, uh, what's your understanding? I think I, I agree with Joan, and uh, I think that that's one of the roles that our, uh, our loved ones who has passed on play for us. They are there, if, if we're aware, they are there to show us that there is such a thing as forever, that we do live on, and we continue mm-hmm. to learn and grow as we as we go. So souls, you're saying like souls don't just stop. Like there's actually growth in the in the afterlife also. Yes, yeah, yeah. I believe that. And uh, I think one of the things that our loved ones do for us when they show us that they still exist is that they allow us to lose our own fear of crossing over. Mm-hmm. Because when we lose our fear of death, we lose our fear of life too. Or I'll say, let go our fear of life. And that's when we can really live. That's when you can look at your life as a whole unfolding of possibilities before you, whether it's in this one or the next one or the next one or the next one. Oh, interesting. That's beautiful. 
And so I guess uh, uh, right before we wrap up, um, what if people want us in a story, let's say they've had a, they have an experience, they want to share, they listen to this, or they know someone, uh, what's, uh, what are the guidelines for submission? Uh, once again, where can they go? And is there a deadline? Our deadline is September 1 this year. And uh, they can go to our website, which is meaningofforever.wordpress.com. Uh, and we also have an email address if they'd rather just email us and ask us. And the email address is themeaningofforever at gmail.com. So there's meaningofforever.wordpress.com, themeaningforever at gmail.com. And uh, basically the guidelines are that the story be of your own personal experience, that it come from your heart, and uh, that you send it to us in an email, or you can send it as an email attachment. You don't have to be a particularly good writer, it's the experience that we're interested in, and uh, we will work with you afterwards to make it um, the story that it needs to be. Beautiful, and does everyone who submit get uh, a place in the book, or are you choosing, how does that work? We will decide once we've got all our submissions together, and we're hoping that we will have that by September the 1st. We've already extended our deadline because we want to get as many stories as we possibly can. And uh, so what we'd like to do then is take a look at all the stories we've got and decide then which ones will be appropriate for the, uh, the thrust that we're taking in the book, which is this whole idea that love lives on after death, that uh, we don't need to be afraid, and that there are ways that we can, we can uh, learn to be more aware of these connections. And whether it's through dreams or whether it's through other signals, uh, we can attune ourselves to be able to see those and to appreciate them. Thank you, Ruth and Dr. Joan. Yeah, sorry, one more thing. I just have one more Absolutely. Um, I want to come back to your, your question about money for a second. But you know, one thing that we're learning, we're learning different ways that loved ones connect with uh, their, their loved ones here in the physical world, ways that I didn't know before. And so what our hope is, is that in the process of sharing all these stories, people will be able to better realize when they're having a connection or communication with a loved one and that they won't be afraid or think that it's bizarre or that they're not well or something like that that they'll be able to embrace and value those experiences and that we'll be able to learn from each other. And just to come back to your questions for just a, a funny thing that happened, we just got a story from one of my friends and she and uh, her family were having an argument about how old her, her grandma was because her grandma said, no, I never tell. A lady never tells her age, but the grandma had passed on and so they were getting ready for the memorial service and they said, they didn't know what age to list her as. And so my friend's mom said, well, she was 91, 91. And my friend's father said, no, she was 95. And my friend Rory said, well, actually, she told me that her age was 93. But no one, you know, her parents were going, no, 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 it's 91, no, 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 it's 95. And so Lori went out to her mailbox and she found 93 cents in her mailbox. <laughs> and wow. she never, ever had found any money in her mailbox before. But she took it back in and showed it to her parents. And she said, 
93. Grandma <laughs> wants you to get it right. <laughs> That's incredible. And you know what? Again, the work you guys are doing is vital for the community. Mm-hmm. We've talked in the past about, uh, you know, being a community, being a tribe. You know, it takes all of us to help each and every one of us to help grieve and get over the process. And uh, I'm excited to, to see what comes out of this and hear the stories and learn a little bit more about it so we can share it with others, right? Again, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a big, uh, it's been a great show. Again, um, please uh, visit meaningofforever.wordpress.com. As well, check out uh, our newsletter at grieftreams.ca. You can listen or download our podcast at podbean.com, or uh, it's now available on iTunes. Uh, just search for Grief Dreams. Uh, you can uh, add us on Instagram at Grief Dreams. Uh, as well, if you have any questions or comments, you can send those at Grief Dreams Podcast at gmail.com. All right, it's been a great show. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.